you're listening to No Such Word As Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today I get to sit down and talk about all things dolphins with Michelle Campbell from Dolphin Quest Bermuda. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to pick your brain today, but for anyone who doesn't know who you are, could you please tell them your current role and a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Again, my name is Michelle Campbell and I've been with Dolphin Quest, oh my gosh, 30 years. (laughs) It's really my one and only job, so it's like a family to me. And my current title is Vice President of Animals, so I help oversee all of our Dolphin Quest locations and Dolphin Quest Bermuda is one of those. And then at each property, we have obviously a general manager, a manager of marine animals, and then a a complementary marine mammal specialist team. Yeah, it's quite a career for sure. You know, to be able to stay with one company for for so long, you know, it speaks very highly um, of that company. But taking it back a little bit, were you always passionate about dolphins? Did you always know this was something you wanted to do? Oh gosh, I, I I fell into it. I got really fortunate. You know, today's generation, they're so prepared and so educated. And that was not me. I wasn't, I had never been to anywhere where I really got exposed to this. Um, I went to UC Santa Barbara in Southern California and somehow I landed on the idea that it'd be kind of fun to do some marine mammal research. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a local stranding kind of coordinator and talked to that individual and it just kind of set the tone. And then I was visiting a friend in Indianapolis while I was in college and the Indianapolis Zoo had this new marine mammal biome. And that was my first dolphin educational presentation that I attended. And I thought, wow, what a cool career. And I went up after the presentation and talked to the trainers, one of them, which was Patrick Berry, who I still work very closely with um, on the board of the Alliance of Marine Mammal Parks and Aquariums, small world. But anyways, going back, he told me how to get involved in the field. He said, hey, we do internships. And I applied for it and got the position, didn't know what I was getting into. (laughs) And um, I think that I got the job because they said they 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 were able to say they hired somebody who came all the way from California. <laughs> so it wasn't really about my credentials, but more expanding the breadth of their program. And from there, I just got really fortunate. You know, as they say in life, it's kind of who you meet and the connections you make, mm. which is what my career truly has been. And at at that internship, they recommended becoming a member of IMATA, mm-hmm. and I did. And then I went to the conference in the Bahamas way back when, and I met the managers or leaders of Dolphin Quest at the time and interviewed there. And then I got that job. And next thing I know, I was on the Big Island of Hawaii, kind of saying, "Wow, I have no idea what I'm doing." <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, I did have a four-year degree, um, undergraduate degree, and clearly the job is a lot of hands-on training. So I've been born and raised Dolphin Quest um, and have grown with the community and our understanding of best practices. Yeah. Things have changed dramatically from who's in the field to how we relate to our animals and the science that we do. And I'm really proud not only for Dolphin Quest, but where we've come as a field. Oh, definitely. And I actually wanted to touch on when you said that nowadays aspiring trainers are, are very educated and very aware of, you know, what they need to study, what they need, what experience they need before they start. Do you think that sometimes that can be a detriment to them? that they, they have an idea of what they think this job is going to be and maybe they build it up so much in their head that when they actually end up in the job, they become quite disillusioned with it? Well, you know, I think it's really up to the individual. I think one of, you know, Dolphin Quest culture is, you know, front and center of everything that we do. And so when you ask me this question, that's kind of where I go people that come into the field with an open mind paired with great open communication skills and managing their expectations along the way, I think are really set up for success. And yes, you're going to get your exceptions to that. Um, this, this group of young people who are mostly coming out of college, they've just, they've done a lot of homework. And what I really appreciate about this group of individuals is they're way more centered than I ever was. And that's part of what I meant about being educated. They know mm -hmm. what they want in life and they yeah. come with a, a passion and a plan. And, you know, we're not always great at what we're passionate about. That's kind of where I think the exploratory world occurs. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be your strength. And yeah. how do you how do you develop that as you're growing in the field? Some, some people come into the field and they start, for instance, doing interactive programming and decide that it isn't a match for them. And then mm -hmm. they swing to become a scientist in our field. Mm -hmm. if, if their expectations were slightly off or at a lot of our locations in the community, you're out in the blazing sun and the elements, and that might not be a match for an individual. But they're so creative in, in then taking that next step and not being afraid to take risks. You know, and in my generation, it was more you were linear. You just grew north. <laughs> the next mm -hmm. step was always something linear. And I think the individuals nowadays are, really, are willing to um, try things out and take the risk. And if it doesn't work, they just chalk that up to learning and growing. And I so, love that. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. And I think there is a certain versatility within this industry. You know, I think a lot of people can be very two dimensional about, oh, I just have to I just want to work with dolphins. And you're like, well, there's so many different ways that you can work with these animals. Now you can go on the research side or you can go on the training side or you can go to education. You know, there's so many different places for people. You know, for me, myself, personally, when I got into the field, I was so focused on becoming a trainer I forgot to think about being a good trainer <laughs> I definitely right. started my first job and I was like hang on I actually now have to learn how to be good at this which I think a lot of people don't think about until they get into it and they're like oh I need to do this job now 
Yeah, and, and here's a challenge for the people coming into our field. And, you know, I say young people are next generation, but I also admire the people who are starting over mm. and coming into the field as a secondary career. And I love that, too. What I love about um, anybody coming in now is the ability to have some of those harder conversations and ask some of, some of those harder questions. And what's part of the Dolphin Quest culture is reminding our marine mammal specialists that when you have a place on our team, your background is behavior modification and psychology, generally speaking. So the bar is really high. You, you, you can be great at working with the animals in front of you. You need to be able to turn to your peers and have that same approach and relationship. And sometimes there's a disconnect there. And this is to me how our community is gonna grow when we realize that as part of a team, we can all connect and see things and troubleshoot those hard conversations and ask the hard questions and if we as humans are really strong in that role and unite, then the animal welfare is a secondary element of that. It's just gonna naturally come together if we're all like-minded and can learn how to be good humans. So that's where I see our community growing is being good, whether we're feathered, flippered or two-legged. <laughs> I love that. I can I can end the podcast this episode. No, there you go. <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was amazing. Um, yeah. So when you you started at Dolphin Quest, you know your first proper. I'm a dolphin trainer. I'm here in Hawaii. What was it like starting out for you? It was very overwhelming. I I'd, I'd never even been to Hawaii. Now um, I'd grown up in the Air Force, so I was used to moving and making change, so that part wasn't intimidating to me. Um, I was stepping into a job that I knew nothing about. I mm. had a four-year degree. That's book work, you know, the hands-on element, and I'd never touched a dolphin, really, until I started this, you know, my first internship, never been close to them, and you step into an environment, a shared environment with a four to 600 pound animal looking to cooperatively collaborate with you. <laughs> and what, mm -hmm. does that, what are you bringing to that relationship? Because it's a dynamic. Yeah. And sometimes I felt the animals were more educated than I was in what to bring to that relationship. <laughs> so some animals had wonderful patience and others, you know, you learn what it takes to kind of uh, fluidly interact and, and that takes time and luckily you had great mentors in the field that handhold or help you calm your nerves if you're walking yeah. in just completely intimidated and um, it was a lot of fun being outside going oh, there's a dolphin in front of me how did yeah. I get so it was definitely bittersweet, nervous, nerve-wracking, exciting, all that stuff wrapped up into one. And I assume other people feel the same way in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And it's one thing I always share with, with my mentees is that no one walks into this job knowing exactly how to work with these animals. Like, you aren't born with the ability to read an animal's behavior 
you're not born with the ability to use your peripheral vision to figure out what's going on in the socialization of the rest of the pod, never mind the other trainers, never mind the guests, you know, or whoever else might be around. So, you know, yes, you come into this job and you might have experience beforehand, but the learning really starts, you know, day one when you're on the ground and you're in that wetsuit or your rash guard and you're standing there going, okay, I'm a trainer now. Yeah, and and Hazel, does it does it ever stop? I mean, that's what's so that's what keeps me going in this career is, you know, we are mostly interactive programming, but every guest brings something new. And if you mm-hmm. can see that as a as the privilege that it is and not, you know, like you're saying, some people might make it burnout if they look at it as just something day in and day out. But if you can embrace that gratitude of I get to share this information and relationship yeah. with somebody who's come to learn about what we do. And so, and, you know, that took me years to figure out that it's just such a nice dynamic. And if you can rest into that and really mm-hmm. appreciate that, then each thing is truly unique. Yeah. And do you remember the first animal you worked with? Yes, and um, they're still here. (laughs) (laughs) Really cool. Um, You know, Pele and Lono that um, from our Big Island location when I started, it just, and Kona, you know, they're all here and they were so unique. And when we talked about getting to know the animal in front of you, you know, some animals would just be like, okay, we got this together. And others are like, wait, who are you? You're new. What do you (laughs) what what are we what are we going to get out of this and you know kona was an animal that would be a little bit you know at a distance kind of size you up and then when she figured you out she was just in your arms nonstop and still is so it's funny how every animal student really shapes who you are as a learner trainer i love that yes you know i think once you're in the job you start to realize how much the animals teach you because you get into it as a trainer, like, I'm going to teach these animals how to do things. And then once you've been in it for a while, you're kind of like, on a superficial level, maybe, but at a deeper level, they're the one teaching me. Yeah, really, they are. I mean, thank goodness we've figured that out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, you know, we've spoken a little bit about um, interaction programs, but Dolphin Quest is heavily involved in in research. So, you know, you've had the, the privilege of being able to see research develop over the years and, you know, so many breakthroughs in this field have happened since you've been in it. So tell us a little bit about that journey of back then doing research compared to now. Well, I remember my first exposure to scientific research at Dolphin Quest was um, Dr. Peter Tayak from um, who came and was doing signature whistle studies um, on our at our Big Island location, and then he would uh, he was so great because he would gather us to educate us on what he was doing versus doing his stuff and leaving and not really knowing that connection, and that was just fascinating to me. Um, really hooked me in, and that work is still very much ongoing, and that was the first exposure. Gosh, it's grown exponentially in this day and age, as you know. The connection we have with the scientific community now is just 
amazing. And every day it's continuing to thrive. And we're finding ways to do science very much integrated into our daily lives. It doesn't have to, again, it's a privilege to do it. And so how do you integrate it into operations and our interactions so that the guests get the chance to experience that? And that's some of um, the best feedback we get from guests is that they got to understand or participate in or see it. Because if we can integrate it into the actual encounter, then they get to experience and see how that training works. And that's been a fun change that we've seen over the time. It used to be more um, observational learning or collecting data, you know, through the sounds and understanding of what dolphins are doing. And, And now we're gosh, we've gone all the way to drone work. And then yeah. how, how everything we're doing in our community has a direct connection to wild dolphin conservation. And so the biggest thing we've seen in this day and age is if you take the drone work, they're coming to a place like Dolphin Quest or other locations and fine tuning their skills so that when they take those resources out to the ocean, they've worked through a lot of that troubleshooting already and, and, or, you know, taking some of the data they get to fine tune it. And if, if they're doing, for instance, drone work where they're measuring, taking the morphometrics of a dolphin, they can then at dolphin quest, take the actual morphometrics to compare to what they're getting from the drone to kind of calibrate that database. I mean, how cool is that? Who knew we'd ever be here? And I can't even imagine what it's going to look like in 10 years. So that kind of shows that growth. And everybody in the community is on board to doing more of that. And guests are on board to participating so that the funding can go towards that. The contributions are routed that direction. And, you know, we've tracked our science from way back when. And we're almost to $6 million at Dolphin Quest in donations to science and in-kind support. And, you know, we're really proud of that. And we're just one small piece of the pie in the greater community. So the difference we're making, I think, is is really huge. What is it like when guests come in and see that research happening firsthand in front of them? What are their reactions like? Amazement that the animals cooperatively participate in the way that they do. And, you know, it's really nice because they help us feel like training wizards when we know (laughs) that if we keep it simple, it's all, you know, foundational behavior. It's just really neat when they see an animal learning a breath hold and, and then we can talk through how we train that and then what a scientist does with that behavior to integrate it into something again, that applies to wild dolphin conservation, they love seeing that loop close. Mm -hmm. So they understand the value of the work that we do Mm -hmm. and the value of them coming to participate that's contributing directly to that. So they just, they want to stay longer, which is great. Yeah. Do you think that that's kind of the hope that we have for this industry and the way that we're going to, I think, prosper in the future is by showing guests that 
kind of feedback loop of you guys visit, you know, you help us to continue all of this research of these animals, which then helps the animals out there in the wild. Yeah, it's funny you ask that because when you say that, it's kind of how I was giving accolades to current day generation. The guests fall into that same category. They are way more educated than what a guest was 30 years ago that came to visit. And they want more and expect more. So we, again, the bar is high. We need to um, know what the public is looking for and wanting to be a part of. They want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. So great, we have this shared platform to work together. And that's where the metrics of constantly staying in touch with your guest feedback is so key. What do they want to know? What do they want to contribute to? Because they want to feel like part of that versus just on the sidelines and, and having these half-answered questions. So connecting beyond that in-water experience, the pre-program, the people who just walk up to see what we do and don't participate. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got so much influence there. And that's, again, um, like-minded from their perspective. So they want to feel good about what they're coming to do and see. And we can do that if we are thoughtful about that process as a greater community. Yeah, you made a really interesting, you chose a really interesting word there. You said the word passive. And I think passive influence is often overlooked. Um, you know, it is the person who's has a family member who visited Dolphin Quest who's talking about it and is then like, oh, okay, so that person might never have gone, but is now hearing about it. And similarly, you know, the push with social media these days can also be very passive. You know, someone is just scrolling through their social channels, maybe doesn't even, it, dolphins don't exist in their realm. You know, they're, that's not what they're interested in. It's not their passion. They know that dolphins exist, but hey, and suddenly a video pops up on their for you page or on their Instagram that's showing what we all saw last week when Dolphin Quest Bermuda released um, a reel of the open water training. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, what's this? And their interest is piqued. And then they, we've brought them in and primed them for educating them. Yeah, and I suppose that's a, a big blessing of social media. Social media is a big nut that is a blessing. How else would we 30 years ago gotten out the word of the great work that we do? So, mm -hmm. you know, many years ago, if you lived in the Midwest, the idea of connecting to somebody in Hawaii or Bermuda almost seemed impossible. And yeah. now we've connected the world in so many ways, just like you and I being on very different time zones <laughs> right now. And, yeah. We can have real conversation, even though my son's coming up and your son is going down. <laughs> and, I mean, how cool is that? And so for the open ocean work, we just wanted to really remind people of what we're doing. And, you know, human or dolphin, we know that behaviorally choice is a big reinforcer. Mm. And we wanted to show the people who may follow us or may fall upon us how the animal has that choice in our environment. And when we go out to open ocean environments, what a great platform to demonstrate that. I and think it's a really striking image. Like it's something that anyone can understand. It's very much like, oh, this dolphin is, is in human care, but is out in the ocean choosing 
to be with the humans. It's a very, very easily understandable message. It is. And it's, it's interesting when you talk about the guest um, response, whether you're just a guest through social media or actually in the water with our dolphins, that they are amazed by that. And it is an important relationship to highlight. Yet in our everyday lives, we have relationships with a dog, for instance, and you can go out and walk in a park without a leash and nobody thinks twice about why is you, the dog taking off? Why do they want to stay with you? And it's that same foundational principle of, gosh, we have this great dynamic relationship. Mm. All of our needs are met together. Why wouldn't we stay? Mm-hmm. And we look to each other for direction and that connection and sharing of resources. We're taking care of each other in ways the animal doesn't even realize they're taking care of us. Yeah. <laughs> And when we go out to open ocean, that, again, that's a great example of that. And and when we do, um, we have a greater uh, lagoon environment at our big island, too, and additional acres of lagoon, which takes sometimes years to convince our animals that they should be part of this because yeah. they're, they're crossing into a territory of the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. And that's scary for us and for them not knowing what to expect and our job is to bring them comfort to expand their horizons and in doing so you further build that trust and you can even sometimes find animals in our family who can serve as leaders in that role yeah to the other dolphin conspecifics who are like i'm not going that you go (laughs) you go oh my gosh she came back you know and um what's unique about bermuda is the connection to their comfort home or sanctuary where you know they spend the night and then the open ocean is there's a 25 foot long by 12 feet wide tunnel Mm. that they swim through to get out there so you don't have this direct line of sight of what you're going to on the other side and when we go out to do our open ocean training we always leave that door open And what we, the message we're trying to send our animals is if you're out here and this is new and you don't feel comfortable and you aren't sure, you can go home. And mm-hmm. so sometimes we're out there working and they'll just turn around and leave <laughs> and they always go home. And so we're like, what, is there something occurring in this ocean environment that we're not aware of? Is there some yeah. other marine life out here that they're saying, nope, this just changed and I'm going to go to mm-hmm. my comfort place. So it's really interesting to see that blend of your comfort home sanctuary and also expanding your horizons as an animal and, and the trust that that takes to work together. So much trust like even just in the beginning stages of that training you know training an animal to go through a tunnel which they haven't seen before to then come out on the other end somewhere that they have no idea where they're going to be or what's going to be waiting for them so what was that initial training like a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) a lot of patience um and you know just again in the world of behavior as we know small approximations and just building that comfort and luckily our tunnel is has a very high ceiling so it's not like it's completely underwater so 
I don't know how high it is, but probably at least 20 feet. So we can stand in there and it's a shallow water tunnel. So it's about four to five deep. I mean, it's tidal. Sometimes it's over our head, but we can, we'd go in there and swim around and they'd come in and race us and come in and race. <laughs> and then our goal was to get them to come in and stay. Okay. Now let's go a little bit farther mm. and try to go back to their, their known habitat quicker mm -hmm. than they go back. <laughs> yeah. So that we're the ones going, we'll go in and we'll go out. And then, you know, like anything, increasing the duration and the frequency. And some animals um, are like, bring it on, let's do this. And others again are like, oh, you go first. And so we, it's funny, we initially ranked animals in terms of what we thought was their resiliency, who will maybe be a leader in this situation and who won't. And we didn't always get it right, which was <laughs> really great learning not to label an animal, yeah. but keep an open mind. And so those who really thrived off, off the challenge, then again, played a role with us in, and we'd pair them together. Mm. And so we got more success through that synergy than always just doing it as an individual without you know one of their friends kind of accompanying yeah. them and we still do that to this day because sometimes we'll take a break like during covid we took a little bit of a break because our um, staffing levels were pared mm. down yes we had taken um, some intermittent breaks during the covid period and it was just really fun to see how the animals just jump right back in again even though it'd been, you know, months since um, we'd taken the opportunity to go out, they were back on board. You know, some of them had a little bit of warming up to do, uh, but you can really just pick up where you left off. So that was a really fun part of the experience. Who was the first animal out? Cirrus. She is our matriarch. <laughs> so she's just an amazing older lady. She's a, she's of my generation because she was born in 1974. So um, she's uh, just tried and true. You know, she she may not um, be the smartest cookie in the group, but man, her ability <laughs> to simply take on a new challenge and her resilience and her she's just a quiet, calm leader. Yeah. And what were so, what were their reactions like? when they finally got out there and they kind of realized like, oh, this is very open and very different. What was that like? Well, their attention span's pretty short initially because mm -hmm. they quote, get to the other side or get to a new area and they're really looking around and taking everything in. And um, Pele at the Big Island who had a similar experience to our greater Maine Lagoon, you know, there's turtles. There's turtles everywhere. There aren't turtles in their lagoon. <laughs> so you go out and send a bow, and then all of a sudden they're coming down and going, whoa, what's this? You yeah. know, and again, that's when you see them potentially turn around and race home. Mm. Like, you know, you can imagine them going, there was this big thing, and it yeah. had this hard back and these legs, <laughs> and it was out swimming and telling all their friends. And <laughs> yeah, and then everyone back in the lagoon is like, oh, my God, I don't want to go out there. They've got big, yeah, scary things yeah. in shells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now they're like, you know, I mean, at points, at one point, we have this place where we can have an aerial view of our lagoon, and um, 
Pele was doing a perimeter porpoise around this large acreage and I counted 17 turtles in the lagoon and you know they just they'll just be right next to him it's just such a cool little experience to have a turtle pop up and the animal doesn't even think twice about it now um, mm -hmm. and and in her transition we have a trainer who's been with us a long time Stephanie Hammes. Uh, what was really cool to watch in that training was Stephanie and Pele swimming together through these new thresholds mm. and that relationship is so strong much stronger than the relationship I have with Pele because I'm not in the water with her every day now. Mm. And Stephanie, you could just see, she just had her hand on her back. They're swimming alongside each other. Pele would look at Stephanie and they would just, okay, let's just do this together because mm. you get that feeling of, I trust you're not going to take yeah. me into something I'm not capable of. Yeah. That's being anthropomorphic, clearly. But for some reason, there's success there and it's hard to not imagine that it's not years of relationship and trust that serve well, that yeah. foundation. Yeah, that's that, that type of trust and that relationship is undeniable to anyone who has any inkling of insight into animal behavior or eyes in their head, pretty much. Yes. So you mentioned a little earlier on the importance of when you're doing this training that when your animals do come out the other side of the tunnel that they still have the choice to return to familiarity. How important is it that we give our animals choice? Number one priority. Definitely. I think, I mean, think about it as a human. And again, we're learning a lot more about child psychology. Sometimes that choice is as simple as, do you want the red shirt or the blue shirt? Mm. And same thing with the dolphin. If they feel like they're active participants in that working relationship dynamic, your success is just gonna be multifold. You know, we're, we're, pa we're past the days of giving directives and, you know, the word control and telling our animals what to do. And I think our successes are demonstrating that integrating choice and the dynamic of a relationship that factors highly on that is is important and uh, valuable. It's taken us where we need to be. And that growth has been exponential because we've seen this as a partnership more so than a mm. standing tall over our animals, looking down, telling them and pushing them. And that, you know, we're taking the authoritative approach versus authoritarian approach that mm may have been in that past history not not everybody but even as humans and how we raise our kids has has grown exponentially yeah. and and that's just so key to that trustful relationship where you can then go so much further as a team and then your mission is accomplished when you can work together like that I think yeah I think there's and I'm really happy that it's happening there's a big conversation these days within trainers and within even facilities about giving our animals more autonomy over their own environment and more choice about what they want to do and you know for me personally when we were taking part in the innovate research which is when we really started just letting our animals do whatever they wanted and we really saw 
regardless of the scientific results, like before our eyes in real time, we saw how much more motivated the animals were, how much more eager they were to participate, you know, their whole attitudes changed. So what are some of the ways that you think, you know, because not every facility has the space to be able to structure a big open water lagoon, we all know that. But what are some of the ways that you can introduce the idea of giving your animals choice over their days in the majority of facilities? I'm glad you brought that up. I think having large natural lagoons is a beautiful thing. You know, having a dog out on a ranch is a beautiful thing. <laughs> there are animals and humans that have wonderful, beautiful relationships that live in condominiums in big cities. And so how do you get resourceful with your animals, no matter what your circumstances may or may not be? Um, you know, it's as simple as maybe more environmental enrichment devices that you can add to that environment to create novelty and stimulation. I think this is where science is huge because the animals have to engage and think and troubleshoot along with us as we're trying to discover what we know about their physiology or their cognitive abilities. Mm. I mean, that's why we do it in programming because it, they're engaged in it and we want to showcase that. And, you know, it's just so special to see them participate in that. And so it can be, um, mixing up the variety of individuals who work with an animal mm. because again we said a relationship is dynamic so what you have with um, Pele may, might be different than what I have with Pele and I think that brings enrichment and variety mm -hmm. it may be how you change up their operational schedule in a day um, variable diets uh, sometimes you know you might feed a larger diet day and and then after we've all gone to a huge buffet, the next day, trim it back to more of an average. And all of that brings different opportunities, variety, flexibility, and engaged thinkers to the game. So you don't have to have multi-million dollar setups to make that happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, the advantage of the open ocean is like we were talking about putting them in that space of being challenged. And I do think that it's important to remember in our field that we focus on a lifestyle, a positive of reinforcement with our animals, a lifestyle. Everything isn't positive reinforcement because it can't be, because going out to the open ocean can be an intimidating thing, mm -hmm. but it can also be healthy when they learn how to manage that sort of situation as an animal mm -hmm. you know if i'm if i have a day where my car breaks down if i have a lifestyle of positive reinforcement then i'm going to be resilient and i'm going to bounce back from having to fix my tire or call AAA or whatever it might be yeah. I, I think we need to look at our animals in the same way that if we're flooding them with all these great enriching experiences then maybe if they're not feeling great, you can lean into your relationship to help them mm -hmm. through that moment. Or, uh, and it's important, you know, out in the wild, life isn't, you know, rainbows and butterflies all the time. They've got to figure out how to find food, how to avoid predators. That's 
the yin and yang of life. And I think we often think that life has to be perfect and beautiful all the time <laughs> to simply have gratitude for beautiful and perfect. When mm -hmm. those challenging moments, whether it's for our dolphins or ourselves as trainers, are what how we grow and develop and learn through, you know, figuring out the science because we don't know what we're doing initially, perhaps, and have to change as we go. So, yeah, that's kind of how I look at that overall. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that we're able to have these types of conversations these days that we have, you know, a lot of us do have these different tools at our disposal to be able to think, okay, just because this is how it's always been done, does that mean how we're going to go forward? Or look at what we've learned from all of these different research studies about dolphin cognition or even their physiology or their their social dynamics. So how can we use what we've learned to adapt what we're doing to increase their welfare? Yeah, and again, um, when, I, when you first asked about um, somebody coming into the field and meeting expectations or exceeding expectations, we talked about that mindset, that learner mindset of going in and staying open-minded. Well, what I love about today's day and age and what this next generation, no matter your age, is holding us accountable to is ensuring that the workplace dynamic, again, it's a relationship. There's the people who come to learn the job and there's the people that have been there to teach the job in a workplace. And that has to be a functional dynamic to work in turn for the animals. And so these people that are stepping new into these roles need to have their voice and need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable to push the envelope of those of us who may have been around forever and they ask good questions like you were just saying for us to go, I don't know, why are we doing it this way? And they, what I love is that they're taking ownership of influencing their own environment. So they need to know they have a choice of staying somewhere and making change and, and lending to a better work environment so that we're all growing collectively, again, for the right reasons of the animals and the marine mammal conservation and the science. And they bring such an accountability that can make people who have been doing it so long uncomfortable. But these conversations have to be had and are only going to get us to better places overall. So I like people to remember that that is their role and that it's going to be hard at times. But they're being responsible for growth as that next generation so that we all flourish together. I love that. We have come full circle. That's a fantastic point, I think, for us to wrap <laughs> that up. But Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule to sit down. I know that everyone listening is going to benefit massively from hearing what you've had to say. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you to all of the listeners who are out to make their own difference in their own way. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.